This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ali Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. This is second part with Dr. Ritva Taipale, and we are continuing discussions about exercise physiology of women. In the first part, we discussed about menstrual cycle and exercise and sports. So if you haven't listened to the first part yet, you might want to check it out first. In this part, we will be discussing, for example, challenges related to menstrual cycle, hormonal contraceptives, their side effects, and many other things. So, Ritva, should we start this episode with challenges related to menstrual cycle? Sure. Uh, It's a a great question and definitely um, one that many women can relate to. Uh, So briefly, if I I define the menstrual cycle again for listeners who maybe uh, didn't listen to the first episode, textbook or unicorn menstrual cycle is approximately 28 days, and it's often divided into two cycles where we have the, the follicular phase, which is marked by bleeding, so the period over the first few days. Um, and uh, in the end of the follicular phase, or roughly the middle of the menstrual cycle, we have ovulation. And that's when the egg is released and a woman can become pregnant. Uh, and then the luteal phase uh, is the second half roughly of uh, the menstrual cycle. Uh, and that's a time leading up to the period. Um, and if a woman does become pregnant, um, her hormones continue to increase during the luteal phase. Um, if she doesn't become pregnant, then the body uh, prepares itself to have a period or, or bleeding. Um, and, and just to reiterate, reiterate uh, the follicular phase is characterized by low levels of reproductive hormones, and the luteal phase has higher levels of these reproductive hormones. Uh, but if I move on to what kind of challenges might be related to the menstrual cycle, um, uh, first thing that comes to mind is that um, a lot of women, close to 85 or 90% of women have some kind of premenstrual symptom uh, before their period. So uh, premenstrual syndrome is, is quite common and uh, generally has symptoms starting about seven to 10 days before the actual period. So that's a substantial part of the luteal phase uh, of the the typical menstrual cycle. And these uh, premenstrual syndromes can, uh, premenstrual syndrome uh, symptoms are generally, uh, for example, lethargy. Um, You might have some uh, mood swings. Um, Some people have actual depression. Uh, You can be irritable, have difficulty sleeping, um, different kinds of pain in, for example, joints or, or muscles. Um, a lot of women also have uh, bloating of the stomach and uh, might also have some other uh, GI-related issues, so constipation or, or um, diarrhea. Headache is also extremely common um, as a premenstrual uh, symptom. And, and like I said, this, these are very common. A uh, really large part of the population who is menstruating 
has at least one of these symptoms before their period begins. Um, I should also mention that there's a small population of women, roughly three to eight percent, that suffer from premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is mm. um, referred to as PMDD for short. And these people have have clinically more uh, severe symptoms. So, uh, and these are often related to, for example, depression, anxiety, um, and the like. And they they really are uh, affected such that they can't necessarily function normally. Uh, in the days leading up to their period. So uh, if I continue, there's other challenges related to the menstrual cycle. Um, so for example, some women have uh, very, very painful periods. Uh, the pain can start before the bleeding actually starts and then uh, continue during the bleeding. Um, some women have uh, really painful periods uh, already starting uh, during puberty. And that's generally referred to as primary dysmenorrhea. Uh, and then other women develop this later on in their life, um, which is then referred to as secondary dysmenorrhea. Uh, and that's when previously painless periods move to being very painful. Uh, and dysmenorrhea in general can be accompanied by a lot of unpleasant uh, other symptoms, including, for example, um, some women will uh, vomit, uh, have diarrhea, for example, um, headache, uh, fainting or feeling faint, uh, for example, which is obviously quite quite unpleasant and affects performance. Um, mm. Another problem is menorrhagia, which is uh, heavy bleeding in women, and and that's. Um, in the literature, I believe it was around 10% of women have heavy bleeding during their periods. And uh, this can, over a period of time, for example, uh, lead to low iron stores and um, low hemoglobin values. Hmm. So so you said that very common are the premenstrual syndrome, then 3 to 8% have premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is which is more, much more serious problem in a way, and right. then ten percent have heavy bleeding, and and can can something be done to alleviate these symptoms, or is there any any solution to help? Sure, um, and and this goes into kind of medicine in the clinical side, and I, I'm not a medical doctor, uh, so you can't take you should go and see a, a physician if you have any of these problems, but. Um, uh, a common way to treat these uh, PMS that is more severe, PMDD, um, and these other menstrual challenges that I mentioned is to use a hormonal contraceptive. Uh, and there's a lot of different kinds of hormonal contraceptives, and um, they have different amounts of hormones, different concentrations of hormones in them. Uh, and a physician will, after interviewing uh, a patient about their symptoms and, and medical history will help the the individual to decide what kind of hormonal contraceptive might be appropriate in treating these symptoms. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Fibian is an accurate sitting and physical activity tracking device and analysis platform. 
It is a great tool for projects that aim for behavior change in sedentary behavior and incidental physical activity. Fibian provides easy-to-understand PDF and web browser reports for participants. Other features include comparisons to recommendations, linking results to health risks, achievement cards, and interactive goal-setting tool. In addition, Fibian provides an API that allows for easy integration to other systems and applications. Learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian. From researchers to researchers. Mm, so hormonal contraceptives can can help how 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 do you see the the effect of these symptoms to exercise and sport and and their relation to hormonal contraceptives for example should female athletes use hormonal contraceptives sure that's a really good question and and definitely a current one um so if we break it down into kind of two questions, uh, first of all, uh, how are these symptoms seen in performance uh, in general? So uh, generally speaking, it appears that uh, women feel that their performance is at least a little bit affected uh, during bleeding. So at the very beginning of the menstrual cycle, um, of course, there are plenty of women who also don't notice any changes in their performance across the menstrual cycle. Um, and actually, if we divide, we have a, a study that was um, recently completed, and we haven't yet gotten the papers out um, on this topic. But uh, I was looking through the data uh, a couple weeks ago before a, a presentation that I had here in, in Vogati. And uh, I noticed that the, the prevalence of these symptoms actually don't differ between women who are using uh, hormonal contraceptives versus women who are are normally menstruating. Um, so that's an interesting interesting observation uh, given that hormonal contraceptives uh, can be used to help treat uh, some of these these symptoms and and it would be interesting to know uh, if it was possible to to design a study that could identify this. Um, that would the prevalence of symptoms be higher in the women who are currently using hormonal contraceptives um, if they weren't using the hormonal contraceptives. But if we get back mm. to the question, <laughs> um, how does hormonal contraceptive uh, use potentially affect performance? And um, I should refer to a, a really good a review article that was published uh, last year in Sports Medicine uh, by Elliot S Sale and her group. Um, and it, it looked at a number of studies that examine whether or not hormonal contraceptive use might affect performance. And it indicates that um, looking at all of this research that there might be a small uh, negative effect, but it's small enough that uh, we can't make any recommendations based on that information. Um, another study that was done by Knowles uh, and I believe it was also published last year, um, looked at hormonal contraceptive use in uh, strength training, for example. And there was also uh, an indication that using hormonal contraceptives might have um, a small negative effect on, on, for example, hypertrophy and strength gains. Uh, but again, we have to, if we look at the whole picture, um, would 
these individuals that are using hormonal contraceptives have greater problems um, if they weren't able to use hormonal contraceptives. Mm, so not not yet enough research to say anything anything definite. Did I understood it right? Well, uh, I think part of it is is a lack of um, a really really large body of research, but also it's difficult to design uh, studies that can kind of weed out all of the potential variables that are going to be affecting uh, the study results. So. Um, One thing that is not typically done currently uh, when we do research on hormonal contraceptive use is asking what is the underlying reason for you to use hormonal contraceptives. Uh, the vast majority of women are probably using them uh, in order to uh, not get pregnant, of course. Uh, some women are using the hormonal contraceptives because they've lost their period due to low energy availability, for example. Um, other women's are women are com prescribed hormonal contraceptives for various gynecological issues, um, the ones that I mentioned, like dysmenorrhea and menorrhagia, uh, but also uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, and if we don't know the underlying reason for the hormonal contraceptive use, we might be missing some of the potential effects that they have on on performance. Mm. So individual differences, why using hormonal contraceptives and then individual effects. Uh, are the other studies showing how how satisfied athletes are are for the use of hormonal contraceptives and maybe side effects of them? That is a, a really fantastic question. Uh, I can't think of a study um, at present that specifically addresses this question. Um, of course, there's a lot of literature out there and I might have missed it. Um, but in our most recent uh, study that we're, we're working on getting the papers out for, um, and this study was uh, completed with Dr. Johanna Ihalainen from the University of Uvascula um, in cooperation with uh, the Research Institute for Olympic Sport um, and among other researchers, uh, Dr. Marit Valtonen from uh, from Kihu, uh, we actually asked this question, how many uh, women are satisfied with the hormonal contraceptives that they're currently using? And the result was actually quite shocking, at least to me, that 25% of our respondents that currently use hormonal contraceptives are not satisfied. Uh, and I think that that's something that, that we need to discuss with them. Um, with our athletes and and with our our physicians that are prescribing these um, hormonal contraceptives that uh, is it something that we can do about or not hmm. yeah i i see and and in the first part we were discussing quite a bit of energy availability and that that's the kind of the culprit of the problem And how how is the when you use hormonal contraceptives, it might help for the symptoms of menstrual cycle. Does it have any effect on the energy availability? Uh, that's a, a challenging question. So, um, if we take a, a step back, uh, in the last episode we discussed how lack of energy availability can affect the menstrual cycle and. Um, Generally, first we see a 
uh, a prolonged cycle. So it goes over 35 days, for example, um, or you might have only the occasional period every every few months. Um, so, and, and that's referred to as oligomenorrhea, which generally means that uh, your cycle itself is elongated or then um, you're skipping periods somewhere along the way. Um, and this can lead to amenorrhea. Uh, and there's two different kinds of amenorrhea. We have primary amenorrhea, which is when um, uh, during puberty, the menstrual cycle doesn't start. So um, that can be for various reasons, but one of them can be that, for example, training too much um, or eating too little. And uh, generally the, the cutoff point for primary amenorrhea is when the period hasn't started by age 16. Uh, secondary amenorrhea is when previously uh, regular periods stop. Um, and it depends, again, on a little bit on the, the guidelines that one reads or the literature one reads. But um, at least in the, the Finnish guidelines, uh, it secondary amenorrhea is diagnosed when uh, the period has been gone for six months or um, if three long-cycled uh, periods have, have not happened. Um, and, and like I said, amenorrhea suggests that we have a hormonal imbalance, and it doesn't necessarily have to be as a result of uh, a lack of energy availability, uh, but it certainly can be. And at any time in a woman's life, if she's not pregnant, or lactating, or using hormonal contraceptives, and her period stops um, for a, a prolonged period of time, then it's best to go and check things out with a, a gynecologist to see if it's a pathological, uh, some sort of illness, or if it's related, for example, to too much stress or or lack of energy availability. Mm. So, so it's <laughs> what I'm hearing. I'm not sure if I'm hearing correctly, but it seems that it's quite a complex thing to with all the hormones, different individual differences. How how difficult do you see this kind of studying, for example, hormone contraceptives in athletes? How how complicated is it that how how difficult it is to say something definite? Sure. Um, I'll, I'll take a quick step back um, to back to the amenorrhea discussion to, to mention that um, some medical doctors, um, gynecologists will give a hormonal contraceptive in order to kind of fix the situation. So at least to get some sort of cycle um, to happen uh, and that hormonal contraceptives have hormones in them um, that basically if you take them on a regular basis, then they regulate how um, hormonal contra or the hormonal concentrations in your body um, are regulated. And there's a number of different kinds of hormonal contraceptives. Uh, some will give a constant dose, for example, for 21 days, and then you'll be on a placebo for seven days. Um, there are also intrauterine devices where you have a constant uh, release of, of hormones for, for many years even. Uh, so there's a lot of different kinds of hormonal contraceptives. Um, but uh, back to your question about the difficulty of doing research in, in women who are using hormonal contraceptives. Um, it's difficult, but it's also not difficult. Uh, I think the, the greatest challenges are 
uh, recognizing, for example, why is the woman using hormonal contraceptive um, and, and determining if that might affect study results. For example, uh, ensuring that women who are using hormonal contraceptives are in energy balance. Um, so, for example, that the hormonal contraceptive isn't masking another issue. Uh, one thing that I think it's really important for, for coaches, for example, and, and practitioners to know is that using a hormonal contraceptive um, in the case of amenorrhea, so the lack of a period, doesn't erase the fact that um, the athlete might be suffering from amenorrhea because they're not getting enough recovery or they're not getting enough fuel um, and things like that. Uh, I think generally speaking, research in women in which we're taking the menstrual cycle or hormonal contraceptive um, use into uh, consideration, it requires a little bit more organize, organizing. It requires uh, more communication with the subjects or the participants. Um, and it requires a little bit more money as well, generally speaking. Uh, in the research that we've done, for example, looking at uh, changes in performance over the menstrual cycle, uh, we have both prospective and retrospective uh, confirmation of menstrual cycle phase. That means that we are trying to identify uh, when does bleeding start, when we're in the follicular phase, uh, when we are ovulating, when we're in the luteal phase, um, and making sure that our, our blood samples are taken on the right days so that afterwards, when we analyze the blood samples, we can double check that, okay, subject X was in the follicular phase when we were doing this uh, particular test or um, oops, we kind of missed that uh, ovulation peak, for example. Um, so it it's complicated, but it's not complicated. It just requires uh, a little bit more attention to detail and, and planning and communication. Mm, great. And, and if somebody is is doing similar research or interested doing who who would you like to collaborate with oh the list is so long only <laughs> um well i i have to say that i am extremely privileged to work with a bunch of fabulous researchers um already here in finland um so i mentioned previously uh dr johanna ihalainen and and Marit uh, Valtonen, who's a physician, and Katja Mörsund, uh, who's also a physician. Uh, those are the, the individuals that I'm working with most closely um, at this moment in Finland. Um, and we are really privileged to also work with uh, Anthony Hackney, who's at the University of North Carolina, uh, Chapel Hill. And he's been a, a mentor since um, I finished my PhD essentially, and and we've been really really uh, fortunate to work with with him. Uh, and currently, we have uh, uh, an international group working on a, a paper that I'm probably not ready to talk about too much yet because we're we're still in a um, kind of intensive work process about it. But um, I get to work with some of my research idols on that paper, and hopefully, we'll be able to show that to the world in the, the coming year. Mm, so a lot of, lot of collaboration already going on. 
and and yeah we have discussed about half an hour in in this part of our our discussion is there something you would like to add to these these themes um hard to say uh i think we went through a lot of information uh in this this episode um I think my parting message for uh, particularly for coaches and uh, athletes and for parents is that uh, if you have a young woman who is dealing with challenges related to the menstrual cycle, whether it's um, difficult PMS symptoms, uh, possibly PMDD, uh, or for example, um, very painful periods, very heavy periods, uh, or of course, if the, the period stops um, coming or doesn't show up in the first place, um, definitely talk to your doctor about it. Uh, make sure that the athlete or or young woman uh, gets to see a physician to discuss those issues and and potentially ask for a second opinion if the information or or resolution isn't something that fits for that individual. Uh, menstrual cycle challenges aren't uh, taboo issues. They're very important women's health issues and and no young athlete or young person in particular uh, should be alone with those problems. So um, definitely discuss it, ask questions, uh, seek answers and and make sure that you get answers that fit for your your body and your situation. Mm, that's a, that's a great advice for the end. So Thank you, Ritva. It was a pleasure to have you in the in the podcast. Thank you, Oli. It was great to talk to you. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day. This podcast is sponsored by Fibion. Uh, my name is Dr. Paul Batman, and I'd like to just say a few words about Fibion. Um, I've used it a number of times on different projects that I've been involved in and find that it's incredibly reliable, very valid, and incredibly sturdy. I, I love the graphics that come with it. It really is very clear and can easily see the active in and active periods as well. I've used it a little bit differently than some others. In fact, I put it in my pocket on a 14-day walk from the coast to coast across the UK and used it to even measure energy expenditure. We gave me some great data. So I'd certainly recommend Fibion to anyone that's interested in finding out more about sedentary behaviour, particularly the concept of sitting and how we can possibly break it up with some really good, valid information.